You are listening to Subro on the Go, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor's Subrogation and Recovery Practice Group, with discussions and perspectives on emerging trends, developments, and best practices. Now let's get started with your hosts, Dave Briscoe and Joe Rich. All right, welcome everyone to another monthly episode of Subro on the Go. I'm David Briscoe from the San Diego office of Cozen O'Connor, joined by co-host Joe Rich from our Miami office, as well as special guest today, first time on the podcast, Dan LaCaro from our Philadelphia office. Uh, we've got a special connection between the three of us. We all started at Cozen right around the same time. I'm, I'm 16 years ago, Joe's 17, Dan 18, so we're, we're part of that, that same kind of class here at Cozen. And, uh, and today we're going to be talking about government tort claims, that is claims where a government entity is the target defendant, be it a city water main failure that floods your property, a bridge that collapses, a dam that fails and floods the property, government vehicle that crashes into your insurance building, and, and on and on and on. And so where the government's a defendant, but we're going to be focusing on two specific areas. Uh, notice requirements, that is written notice requirements to, to notify the government of your claim. There's special rules for each state. And tort caps, even if you do comply with uh, uh, the notice requirement, you may have a state where there's a cap on the amount you can recover. And so these are the two most significant kind of subtopics in government tort claims because they have the biggest impact on your bottom line. If you don't meet the notice requirements, then your claim can be barred entirely. And then if you have made a timely claim, um, then you could still be in a state where a tort cap severely limits your claim. So you've you got to know before, from the get-go, you know, what are, what are your rules when it comes to government tort claims. So Dan and Joe are going to walk through these highlights, and I'm going to chime in periodically and with my kind of usual annoying banter about uh, how California operates by the beat of its own drum. So go ahead and kick us off, Dan. Uh, yeah, thanks, David and Joe. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, I guess, as you mentioned, David, anytime you're talking about a claim with any sort of government entity, it's important to uh, identify early on um, what limitations there may be, what notice requirements there may be, uh, because those can come up pretty quickly. And I think when you when you talk about government claims, you, you sort of you start with this concept of sovereign immunity, which dates back to long ago where, where the king could do no wrong. And I think for the safest thing is to just sort of assume with the government that, that they, they, they have sovereign immunity. And then over time, through a variety of, uh, whether it's case law or, or, or Tort Claims Act, that immunity has been removed from most government entities in, in limited circumstances. And, and the removal of the, of the government's immunity comes usually at the cost of having to provide them with certain notice or with certain types of limit, limitations. So the big thing you, you always start with is, is whether it's a proprietary function or, or a government function. And most, most analysis of, of sovereign immunity starts there. And you will find that whether you're, if it's a federal government, if it's a state government, if, if it's a local municipality, the rules are going to be very different. But there are a few things that I think kind of hold true, uh, you know, and are, are consistent regardless of where you are. And and one is that, that government entities are typically going to be immune for uh, their governmental or, or discretionary functions, which are things like taxing, like setting legislation, things like that. And in most instances, they will have some potential liability for what we would call proprietary functions. Um, you know, if that's a, that could be a, you know, a, a government employee driving a car and hitting someone. It could be government acting as a contractor and making repairs to a bridge or failing to properly maintain certain government things. So those, those are the class of actions where you typically will have 
um, a potential claim against the government. Um, and then the next thing you have to look at is what is, you know, what governs my claims against this entity. Um, and most states will have uh, like a state tort claims act, which will set forth, you know, sometimes when you can sue a government, um, particular situations, most of them have some sort of notice requirement. Um, some of them have caps on, on, um, on liability. Um, but the notice requirement really is the big one. Uh, and you'll find sometimes that, that states may have different rules if you're talking about a claim against the state or, or a state agency versus uh, you know, another uh, municipality, uh, whether it's a town, a county. Um, so sometimes there's, there's two sets of rules within a state. And then some states will even have a specific forum where you need to, to pursue your claim against that government entity. For instance, in New York, they've got something called the uh, New York Court of Claims where you would actually have to bring your action against the state, um, although you wouldn't bring claims for local municipalities there. So, uh, you know, as a starting point, you always want to find out who you're dealing with. Are they a government entity? And if so, what's the uh, what's the statute that you have to comply with if you're going to pursue a claim against them? Because like many things with, with the government, uh, you know, a claim against the government entity is going to be laden with, with red tape and bureaucracy. And a lot of times there is, uh, you know, form over substance in terms of how you have to provide them with notice and who you need to provide the notice to. And you could have a, a fantastic case, but if, if you haven't uh, complied with all those things, it may be a basis to lose your claim. So very important that you would identify those kind of up front. Yeah, let's let's get a little bit in the weeds. Maybe Joe can highlight Florida for us because your point about you know the specific notice requirements it's very state by state. Um, but uh, but you know just to kind of give an example, I think Joe, Joe's going to talk a little bit about Florida. Yeah, so I, I guess in this in this uh, grouping, I'm the middle child, <laughs> having uh, having been here for 17 years. So I can use that as an excuse, Dave, <laughs> that I have a middle child complex right. when I complain about California law. Um, so in Florida, like da Dan was mentioning, there's there's very specific requirements. There is a statutory scheme. Um, it specifically tells you that you have to place the state agency involved, whether that is a city, town, you know, municipality, a state agency, or a state-run agency. And then also the State Department of Finance. The notice has to be in writing. The statute, like in most states, for instance, uh, Massachusetts has a similar statutory scheme, even though I'm talking about Florida. When I used to practice in the Northeast, Massachusetts has a very rigid statute as well. But in Florida, you know, it tells you specifically what you have to list and what you have to provide when you send the notice. Um, and the notice, this is a critical thing, has to be sent within three years, right? And then you have a six-month waiting period before you can do anything else after you send the notice, such as file a lawsuit, right? So you have to wait six months after you put them on notice before you can pursue litigation. But what is also tricky in Florida is there's also a three-year statute of limitations for most claims, except it's two years for wrongful death. So if you think about that, you have to put them on notice and wait six months. So really the statute of limitations is two and a half years, right? Because you don't want to be stuck with um, putting them on notice in the third year, right? And then having potential statute of limitations issues because the statute expires in three years. Um, it's a little bit of a tricky timing scheme, but you know the statute spells out, it, it is fairly clear what you have to do. 
Um, it's somewhat similar, I would say, to the Federal Tort Claims Act, if we can pivot maybe for a second to the federal government. Um, you know, and Dan and Dave may have some comments on that, but I've handled both types of claims. The federal government, there's a specific form you have to file. So, for instance, if you had um, a claim against the Coast Guard, the Department of Agriculture, or whatever other federal agency for whatever other reasons, um, you would generally use what's called a form, a standard form 95. You'd have to send it to the correct government agency. What's good about the federal government is when you go to those agencies' websites, they usually have very specific instructions you can follow, tell you exactly where to send it. Um, it's much more transparent, I would say, than most states. Um, you have a two-year deadline in federal court to file the notice. Um, and then there's also a six-month waiting period in federal court. Um, the interesting thing about the Federal Court Tort Claims Act is um, the federal courts automatically have jurisdiction, but there's no jury trial, right? It will be heard by the judge. So that was what Dan was talking about earlier, that you know they've, they've given back some of their sovereign immunity, but there's some scope limits on it. Right. Oh, your point about tricky timing scheme is so well taken because, you know, unlike, you know, so many other cases where we're used to, okay, what's the statute of limitations? It's three years from the date of loss with the government tort claims. It's a moving target. And there's a lot of, it depends. It depends on um, what the government's response is. So California, just to use one more example to, to illustrate, there actually are some similarities to Florida where we have in California six months to provide written notice of a government tort claim. The government then has 45 days to respond. Um, and then uh, we must file our suit within six months of the written denial. If the government doesn't respond, then we get two years from the date of loss to file. But if they do respond, we've got six months from their denial. Um, and so you don't know from the get-go of a case. It's not one clear um, statute of limitations, really. It's just you've, it depends on what the government's response is. Um, and the other note I'll give about California, I always want to make this, this clear to everybody. If you do have, if you, for some reason, you blow this notice requirement in California um, and you have a claim against the government, don't shut down your subro case. You, you may still have a case because um, we always want to remind everybody inverse condemnation is a cause of action that doesn't play by these rules. I've talked about this before, but briefly, inverse condemnation is a California constitutional-based con uh, cause of action. So it's a higher authority than the federal tort claim statute it doesn't so the the government notice requirements that are required in the government tort claim statutes those don't apply to the california constitutional based inverse condemnation cause of action so um, that just carries the usual three year uh, from the date of loss um, statute of limitations so that's a that's a nice out of course of course you have an out <laughs> in california like everything else um but the one thing i would say to those of you out there listening is you know I wouldn't get bogged down with any specific state we're referencing now, but just keep in mind that each state, I think there's something like probably 30 to 40 states now that sort of have these type of statutes that, that list the notice requirements. Just remember that they're out there and that you need to check whatever specific state your loss or accidents in and just make sure you're following that. You know, Dan gave you a good example about how New York is slightly different. Um, you know, if, Florida is very different than New York. Um, Massachusetts is different than Florida. Just know that they're not uniform notice periods and they're not uniform um, statute of limitations. I think, Dan can correct me, but I think in New York, isn't the notice like 60 to 90 days, Dan? Yeah, I think that's correct. I actually don't have it right in front of me, Joe. But um, one other point I wanted to make, just, you know, I mentioned earlier that sometimes these things are, are, you know, form over substance in terms of the notification is 
I think a pitfall that, that, that can happen is a lot of times you'll send the notice to the appropriate person. And you mentioned Massachusetts, and I know recently I had a, a case up there um, against the uh, Boston Sewer and Water Authority. Um, and they're a municipal entity. They are you know, subject to the notice requirements under the statute up there. And that statute specifically says that you need to send the notice to... You know, if it's the city, it's the mayor. If it's a, if it's something like that, it's going to be the executive director. But basically, the the highest level person there. So, you're going to send your notice to that person. There's a really good chance you're not going to get any response from that individual, and and then ultimately you are probably dealing with a claims person or maybe even you know a a liability insurance carrier. So you may think that you're you're coordinating. I mean, you, you could have a situation where you're dealing directly with a you know municipality's insurance carrier. You've had an ongoing discussion. You end up filing suit when they deny the claim, and, and you find out that whoa, I didn't comply with everything I needed to comply with under the statute because I was dealing with the liability carrier and not directly uh, with with the municipal entity. Um, and maybe that means you haven't gotten the right denial from them. Maybe that means your your specific letter didn't go to the right person. So that's just something to watch out for because, again, a lot of the times the person that the statute requires that you kind of put on notice or, or maybe even eventually sue isn't necessarily the person who's going to be dealing with your claim. Uh, and when a liability carrier gets involved, you may have ongoing communications with them, but you still need to make sure that you are complying with you know any specific notice requirements that may be in the statute. Um, one other thing I'll, I'll touch on real quickly, um, because unfortunately the, the, you know, some of the states I'm barred in have this, there are a few states where um, uh, subrogation claims are, are barred uh, pretty much outright, um, even if there is a Tort Claims Act that, that, per, that would allow a tort claim under the appropriate circumstances against a government entity. There are some states that just say you can't do it. Um, for instance, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, you know, where, where I practice, um, has a, uh, preclusion against suing government. And it, it's not so clear though. It, it's, it's not an outright bar in the statute, but effectively, um, the statute says that, that any municipal entity is, has a right to a set off from any funds that, that the injured party has gotten from their insurance carrier. So effectively that bars subrogation. Same thing in New Jersey. Um, which bars claims against any public entities, um, Ohio, Oklahoma. So there are a couple of states out there which will outright bar subrogation claims. Um, so those are ones you want to be aware of as well. Yeah, very helpful. So let, let's spend some time talking about the uh, the tort caps themselves, um, which I'll save my rant maybe for the end if there's time. But, but Joe, uh, talk to us about some of the actual caps. If you do comply with notice requirements, do you have any caps on your recovery? Yeah, so in a lot of states, you're going to see in these statutes that also list the notice requirements, um, it's either going to be in that statute or a companion section to the statute. They're going to have also a, a tort cap is essentially a limit on the amount of damages you can collect from the governmental entity or agent or whoever it may be, right, that you're going after, whether it's a, a water and sewer department, a city. So, for instance, in Florida, it's a very, very specific scheme. Um, you are limited to $200,000 for any one claimant and a cap of $300,000 for all claims from one event. So what that means is, you know, if you're, and I've had this happen a couple of times, if you have like a, an event where multiple properties are affected from flooding, let's say I've had this happen 
bet a couple claims in Miami Beach like that, right? The limit that the city owes to everybody is $300,000. And no one claimant can get more than $200,000. So, you know, there are very specific limits. Um, in Florida, you can't get punitive damages. There's no prejudgment interest. I think that's pretty consistent in most states. Um, there is some weird language in the Florida statute that says, well, if the municipality or the state agency has liability insurance, they can pay you more than the tort cap if they want to. But I can tell you it never happens, right? Why would they? Because they have right, the so nice of them. cap. The other thing. Yeah, it's so nice of them, right? It's in there, but I I know of no one, you know, who's actually been successful in having it having it done. Now, again, that is probably there's also another process in Florida called the claims bill process um, that's in the statute. And what that is is, well, let's say you you want more than the tort cap. What you have to do then is litigate your case through trial, through verdict, win, win all the appeals and then apply to the state legislature to have them issue you payment in excess of the tort cap. They essentially have to pass a bill authorizing payment to you. It's very, very rare. And it's really reserved for tragic personal injury claims. You know, um, very sad and tragic type of claims, which I'm sure everybody's imagination can tell you what those would be. But it, it's not a practical mechanism for a property damage subrogation claim that is a some certain, you know, and doesn't have the same type of public appeal as a tragic personal injury loss. So that's like the Florida scheme. I know Massachusetts, Dan has cases in Massachusetts. Massachusetts has something similar. I, I, I recall it's something around maybe like a hundred to $300,000 per claim. Um, Dan may know the exact amount, but if you keep that in mind, so whatever state you're in, you know, like like Dan and Dave were telling you, you want to make sure you're following these rigid form requirements on notice, regardless of what you're doing. But you also want to keep an eye on what is the torque cap. It's important not only for budgetary purposes, but you want to know, well, if there's other claims, you know, and there's a limit, you know, my claim actually gets reduced yeah, again. I, uh, I'll limit, since we're, we're winding down, I'll limit my rant on, on this for 30 seconds. But the, the, there's no cap in California for government tort property claims. I, I'll leave it at that and not annoyingly gloat as usual and drive you guys crazy. But I, I'll say from a public policy standpoint, that caps make no sense whatsoever to me for, for a variety of reasons. I mean, the government's not going bankrupt. So it's not like, you know, particularly the state government, if they have to pay you a million dollars in damages that they caused you. Um, it, it, there's no, it doesn't incentivize safety, which is always a, a frustration for us on the plaintiff's bar that um, you can have tort feasors, you know, free to cause damage to your property and just have a limitation on their liability um, and, you know, allowing them to avoid responsibility, which is not fair or just. And it's unfair to give preferential treatment to the government to me over individuals because, uh, you know, if an individual causes a wildfire um, and causes tens of millions of dollars in damages, that individual is going to have a restitution award entered against him or her. And and but if you're in a cap state, then the government liability is capped, and and we're treating governments with preferential treatment over individuals. So I don't like it uh, personally, and so um, but I'm always the cheerleader from California, uh, and uh, um, but it is important to know because early on, um, you don't want to have unreasonable expectations in your case. Uh, early on in your case, if you have a really large subrogation case, and then all of a sudden you're you're hit with a, a realization that your state carries a cap with it. Um, so, 
Yeah, I would also just quickly mention, like with the Federal Tort Claims Act, in, in most situations, it's going to revert back to the state law for the measure of damages. And like with most state statutes, you can't recover punitive damages or prejudgment interest from the federal government. So, you know, there, in addition to like a cap itself, you also have to keep in mind there are these other ways that they whittle down your ability right. to collect. There's a lot of nuances here. It's tough to cover in a 20-minute in a podcast, but I, I think for us, we wanted to highlight for everybody that there are these variations. Here's some of the consistent themes on notice requirements and, and caps, um, and that'll help you, you know, know what things to look out for. And certainly feel free to reach out to any of us anytime if you have questions um, on, on this topic or, or anything on the subro uh, topic in general. Otherwise, thanks for joining me, guys. This was fun. I appreciate it as always. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for, thanks for coordinating this. Thanks, Dan, for joining us, and uh, we'll see you all out there next time.